Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Wisden World Cup Daily Podcast. Australia are off the mark at the 2023 World Cup, beating Sri Lanka by five wickets and 15 or so overs to spare in look now. It's a comprehensive victory in the end, but it didn't always look that way, especially when Sri Lanka were 125 for naught in the 22nd over. But Sri Lanka collapsed and they collapsed in some style, unfortunately. Adam Zampa took four as Australia bowled out Sri Lanka for 209, a total they chased down in style despite falling to 24 for two against the new ball as youngster Dilshan Madushanka dismissed David Warner and Steve Smith in the same over. I'm Yazrana and with us for the first time is Sri Lankan cricket writer Estelle Vasudevan. Ben will be joining us in part two to talk about Australia. Um, Estelle, great to have you on the show. Uh, 125 for naught with Kusal Pereira and Patim Nisanka. It was looking so good for Sri Lanka. Uh, some of that sloppiness that we've seen in Australia so far, this tournament was still on show. Sri Lanka were properly in this game, but what happened? Yeah, it's funny. I think even the commentators m- made note of the fact that Australia looked so flat in that first 20 overs of Sri Lanka's innings. And suddenly it was like a completely different uh, team once the wickets started falling. Uh, what went wrong? I think that's the mystery, isn't it, with Sri Lanka batting at the moment? It seems like when the top order fires, the middle order doesn't, and the middle order fires, the top order doesn't. So th- this was the first game where we had a decent start. Um, Kusal Pereira getting into things finally after a couple of failures in the first couple of games. Um, but then in the middle over, Sri Lanka lost a lot of wickets. Unfortunately, it's something that's seems like a recurring problem. I mean, we don't have to even look that far back. In the last game against Pakistan, I think Sri Lanka were 220 plus in 30 overs. They ended up with 340 on that occasion. But looking at 220 plus in 30 overs, you would expect, particularly on those tracks, uh, that they would have crossed the 380 run mark. Similarly, even in the warm-ups, and and I know you, you don't usually read too much into the warm-up games, but in both of those games, Sri Lanka were in really good positions, 240 in 30 overs in one and I think uh, 120 plus in 20 overs in the other still ended up with less than 300 in both games. So I think it's a recurring problem. They don't seem to have any answers to it because like I said before, when you when they do get a good start with the openers, there seems to be a collapse waiting to happen in the middle overs or the middle order comes in when a few extra wickets have fallen at the top of the order. So definitely a big issue for Sri Lanka going forward in this tournament. Mm. I guess on paper, it's still quite a young, relatively young Sri Lankan side, relatively young batting order. And Sri Lanka have obviously changed a lot in the last decade. A decade ago, they would have been almost dead certs to qualify for the knockout stages at a World Cup. It's a pretty young side now. And with three defeats from three, it's unlikely they'll get into the top four 
this time round. But are you hopeful that this young core could take them to something special down the line? I mean, Kusar Mendes, for me, is one of the most frustrating players in the world. Um, it's criminal that he's only scored three Odeo 100s, but he seems to have taken his game up to another level this tournament. Pathum Nisanka is a very exciting young player. Um, there's a lot of talent in that lineup. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, with Sri Lanka, I think what you can say is, is there's never been a shortage of talent. There's always been talent in Sri Lanka. The problem is then converting that talent into performance. And that's that's the issue we continuously experience with this side. In the last couple of years, there's definitely been an improvement um, as opposed to right after the 2015 World Cup leading into that 2019 World Cup. Um, but like you said, yeah, young team, I think in the squad itself, maybe Sri Lanka have like four players over the age of 30, which is, which is I think, quite uh, new for a team like Sri Lanka. Generally, we do see a lot of 30-plus players in the side. But this time around, they've kind of switched things around. They've got a lot of youngsters. Some of it is forced uh, with the likes of Vanindu Hasaranga, who is quite young as well. But uh, Dushmanta Chamir are missing out. They've, they've been forced to bring in a couple of really young bowlers in Matisha Patirana, Dushan Madhushanka, you mentioned before, to make up for those losses. But if Sri Lanka played right, I think they could be a real force to reckon with in the next four to six years. But there are definitely some big holes that need to be filled. They, they kind of have what we can call a a foundation to a certain extent to to really go to the next level in the next four to six years. But there are some really big goals to fill as well. Mm. You mentioned that there's the talent, but that's not necessarily always converted into performance. What do you think that is down to? What, why do you think that that hasn't quite happened over the last five to eight years? Or, or do you think that's just one of the things that just can happen with a, with a youngish side? In the past, there's been a problem with consistency in terms of opportunities. Um, I mean, it's um, it's incredible to me that Sri Lanka coming to this World Cup with two of their leading fast bowlers, Bhatisha Patirana and uh, Dilshan Madhushanka, haven't played 10 ODIs each, right? Both of them have played less than 10 ODIs. It's incredible that between World Cups, ODI World Cups come, come every four years, right? And you suddenly find yourself in a position where your two lead fast bowlers don't really have any experience under their belts. And um, that has been an issue in the past. And I will also say, I think if you just look at the last couple of years or the last four years, there have been lots of injury issues and that has contributed to the fact that there hasn't been consistency. So for example, if Sri Lanka had Hasaranga and Chamira, they would have been much more experienced bowling attack. Um, similarly, in the batting as well, Sadira Samaravikrama is relatively new to the international scene in terms of number of matches he's played, right? Um, it's a lot of different things. Um, but I think the key issue is that consistency of opportunity hasn't been there in the past. Mm. It's a good point on the injuries. I don't think any team has been as affected by injuries in this tournament as Sri Lanka, you mentioned Hasaranga, Chamira, and also just Tikshan not playing the first game against Africa was, was such a big blow as well. Um, one young player who we mentioned a couple of times already who stood out today was Madhushanka. He got rid of David Warner and Steve Smith in the same over, uh, ended up with three wickets. Um, just on the Warner wicket, he, he Warner was furious on his way back to the dressing room. He reviewed um, 
the LBW decision from Joel Wilson and DRS had it as umpire's call. It was it was marginal, but it was nowhere near as marginal as a Johnny Bairstow one yesterday. And I feel that players and pundits are unfairly critical of decisions that are umpire's call because it, <laughs> it's still out. Um, anyway, with, with Madishanka, what what's his story? He's not played uh, much international cricket, as you said, but he, he looked a real handful, really, really swinging that new ball. Yeah, and he's one of those guys who, you know, it's it's the type of story that we love to hear, right? He comes from a very poor background, rural south of Sri Lanka. Um, there's been a lot of stories about how he, you know, his school was too poor to have like a real hardball setup. Um, so he used to play a lot of softball cricket and um, that's kind of big in Sri Lanka where you, you know, it, it could even be a, a means to, you know, financially sustain yourself to a degree, playing softball tournaments around the country. Anyway, um, I think his big break came uh, in 2018 or 19 when he was called up to, to be a netballer for uh, India under 19s tour of Sri Lanka. So he was called up by one of the district coaches and there's a story that, you know, he, he couldn't even afford a pair of boots. So I had to borrow a pair of boots. And um, apparently they were too tight and they were hurting him. And he had wanted to make an excuse and kind of leave the the net session early because he didn't want to, you know, tell the coach that he borrowed a pair of boots and they're too tight. Um, so he made up an excuse, but the coach had, you know, kind of compelled him to stay. Um, he ended up, you know, finishing up there. And a few weeks later, he gets a call from Chamin Davas, uh, inviting him to an under-19 camp in Colombo. And that was, I think, the probably the turning point of his life because from there, he went on to play the under-19 World Cup in the West Indies in 2020. Uh, was definitely a star performer. Then I think um, Mickey Arthur was the national coach around that time. And even back then, there was chat about him, although he hadn't debuted for Sri Lanka or wasn't in the squad. There was talk about him even back then. Um, he's had an, a few issues with injury already. He's coming into this tournament after a long injury layoff uh, last year's T20 World Cup. He was injured, I think, the day before the first game. Um, so he's had his issues with injury. But I think one thing from the first three games Sri Lanka can take away is that this guy is... He's the real deal, right? He's 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 a guy who can really make it in the international scene. And I mean, just if you look at the wickets he's taken in his career, very short career uh, in T20 and ODI cricket, Virat Kohli, he has Barbara Azam, and today he got uh, Stephen Smith. So I, I can't imagine a better start to a career. No, he looked really threatened today. Um, you've always got to be careful with boots that are too small for you. Um, I wore uh, football boots that were too small for me in February. It's October now and my feet still haven't really recovered. Um, anyway, we had a couple of questions on Sri Lanka more generally. Um, the Run Out blog asks, what is the general opinion of Chris Silverwood in Sri Lanka? Um, listeners of this podcast will know that we, we are sort of fascinated by how Chris Silverwood is doing in Sri Lanka, um, I thought it was very brave of him to take on a job uh, of the scale of Sri Lanka when he had just uh, gone through a really difficult final year in the England job. And I've always thought that as spectacular as the collapse was of Chris Silwood's England, um, there were some there's some good times as well. England won a Test match in in India. They had a, actually a very good first year 
um, with Silverwood in charge. How's it gone for Silverwood um, in Sri Lanka? Yeah, I think he, when he took over, it was already a kind of a team that kind of had the ingredients to do well. Um, so I think he's been assisted by that. That's actually quite an interesting question because I haven't really thought of it. But um, I think when you compare him to his predecessor, Mickey Arthur, there isn't really, I feel, a strong opinion, either positive or negative, towards Silverwood. With, with Mickey Arthur, it was quite, you know, polarizing almost right there were people who loved him and loved the way he handled the team almost like you know that father-like figure he would take young players under his wing and then there were those who really did not like him because he seemed or there was a kind of a issue with uh, how good he was tactically in in white ball cricket right with silverwood i don't see that amount of you know thought or that amount of opinion about him uh, but I will say that I think there's a lot of credit that's given to him in terms of the fast bowling for Sri Lanka he is I think uh, by profession a fast bowling coach right so uh, if you look at Sri Lanka's fast bowling stocks there's been a huge uh, there's been a really big improvement over the last four to five years and I think he's added to that uh, with the current crop of players mm, that's really interesting um, and finally, Dominic asks, of the many problems that Sri Lanka face, which do you think is the most urgent to deal with? Yeah, that's that's another interesting one because I was going to say the lack of uh, power hitters or finishers in the Sri Lankan side because that's really a major issue. I mean, if you look, you, you look at this squad and you look at maybe if the ODI World Cup is a big thing in four years, right? Uh, possibly seven to eight players who are in this lineup could make it there, right? Um, but the the areas that Sri Lanka are lacking are really that six, seven, eight batting positions where they don't have players who can come to the crease and clear, start, you know, going after the bowling, which, I mean, if you if you look at teams around the world, Australia today, Maxwell, Stoin is coming in, the, coming in in those positions, can clear the boundary in their first 10 deliveries, right? Sri Lanka don't really have many players who can do that. I would say at the moment, it's just Dasun Shanaka who, who even has the potential to do, to do that. And he hasn't, him not clicking has made matters worse for Sri Lanka. Um, so that is definitely an issue that needs to be addressed, the power hitting, because, you know, you'll have players like, uh, maybe Patam Nisanka, Sadira Samaravikrama, who can get in and then go after the bowling. But the way cricket is moving right now, and if you look at how it's gone in this World Cup, where 320 is maybe par, right? Um, you really need those guys to come in and get you that 30 to 50 runs uh, in a short period of time. And Sri Lanka, that's an area Sri Lanka has been lacking for. They've never really had that type of combination at five six seven and eight um but I, I mean i was going to say that's the most urgent problem uh but is it fitness because it's had a massive impact on sri lanka and i'm not just talking about this tournament obviously missing hasaranga is huge because he adds so much balance into the side with his uh, ability with the bat 
but it also means that you know you can't put a put a team together consistently because someone or the other is missing so for example sri lanka's opening combination there's always kind of been okay patum nisanka and who is it going to be the mutkarnaratna is it avishka fernando avishka fernando basically took the world by storm in the last world cup right against england the way he batted the way he took on jofra archer he was batting at number 3 there but generally sri lanka have used him as an opener uh kusal janit pereira but over the last 4 years there have been so many injuries that sri lanka haven't been able to put together that combination properly um and with them playing so few odis as well with the two t20 world cups that's been really a massive issue so it's a toss up between those two i mean sri lanka really have to fix the power hitting but the injury issue is also massive mm That's really interesting. I think for a team that is not from three, I think there've been a lot of good moments for Sri Lanka so far. And as you say, the foundations are definitely there for potentially building on that and and creating something special down the line. Well, Estelle, it's been great having you on the show today. Uh looking forward to hearing from you later in the competition. Um that's it for part 1. In part 2, we'll hear from Ben on Australia and look ahead to tomorrow's game. Ben Australia weren't necessarily back to their very best but once they got that first wicket they looked more disciplined Zampa's control was better Pat Cummins was known to be sharper actually than we've seen up until this point in the tournament encouraging signs for them after a poor start to the tournament mm, yeah and uh, and even after a poor start to the game as well I suppose and in, in in a few ways uh, the first over first ball of the game they go for a view which uh, is not out for a few reasons they lose that then they choose not to review later in the same power play when it would have been out uh, that was because Pereira he didn't have much time on to make 78 the high score uh, of the game um and you're thinking wow this actually this is starting to turn from being like a bit of a a poor start tournament but an understandable one to real rot setting in and then yeah it was Cummins he turned it around Cummins and actually two really good catch from David Warner which was also important because they were dropping those early in the tournament as well to really sharp chance in the outfield and Cummins it should he should make sense to middle overs bowler right like mm. it hasn't quite clicked but then also middle overs bowlers can you know you can be 155 and have done quite a good job depending on who the one is and these were one of those where the two he got was uh, the two openers who had who had started so well one with the proper plunket type short ball that gets a bit big or that better doesn't quite get hold of hits to the deep and one with a classic mm. Cummins type uh little seamer so that 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 worked well and then what other sort of things they check off i suppose again a bit of a wobble at the start they had that amazing first over the initial like okay straight up properly back here and then a bit of a wobble and then Josh Inglis making runs that's big as well vindicates that decision and, and also they... the way he made the runs as well is quite authoritative yeah i mean i guess you know we shouldn't read too much into a lot of this flanker art are weak for you know a, f- a few reasons you know injuries and and such um and there wasn't a huge amount of pressure on uh, but yeah it did feel a bit more like he was playing in the way australia have wanted mm. their batters to play so they will be pretty encouraged by that but it's it's qualified encouragement for now i mm. guess you'd say i feel like few players have had better tournaments than liam plunkett he's getting a lot of mentions at the moment <laughs> a lot of comparisons to what he did in 2019 and yeah it was an incredibly eventful first over uh, proper mancad warning from mm. mitchell stark before the fourth ball of the game kusal perero i thought very very lucky that stark decided not to take the bails off because sometimes you know there was another warning that Stark gave Pereira where Pereira wasn't that far out of his crease but the one before the fourth ball Pereira was miles down the wicket and you know increasingly players 
are viewing those as just objective opportunities to take wickets and, and Stark was generous, um, arguably. Um, just a word on some of the scenes we saw in Look Now, Ben, in, in the high winds, a bit of a bit of the structure holding a banner fell a considerable distance and we're lucky and, and grateful that no one was injured. Yeah, and yeah, it was it was because because also you weren't really sure what had happened at first. Mm. So you saw the, the players had stopped and they sort of looked over there and then you look around, there's sort of spectators sort of like running up towards the top of the stand. So basically, yeah, there was a it was really, really windy, like the players were struggling with the dust that was being blown across. There was Josh England was having to sort of plays a bit of a, a, a trash man for a bit, picking up bits of uh, debris from the outfield. Uh, and then, yeah, the uh, the whole hoarding, so the, the ICC sort of branded or World Cup branded boundary hoarding, but sorry, not boundary hoarding, stadium roof perimeter boarding, I guess you'd call it, falls, but with actually some proper scaffolding mm. structure with it. So if the stands were more full, then those people wouldn't be, would, might not have had places to run. But as it was, it sort of kind of fell down in stages a bit and they were able to, to get out of the way. But yeah, pretty pretty worrying and it was really windy but I guess you'd hope that you know mm. stadiums can stay together even when it is windy I mm. guess um tomorrow we've got South Africa versus Netherlands um what are you trying to get people to call this game uh the van der Derby okay yeah I mean because they're all called either van or de so something you say, aren't you they? say all uh, maybe, maybe two on each side <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, it could also be called the, the side brand Engelbrecht Derby uh yes well a former South Africa under 19s player took a brilliant catch there as we've discussed on the podcast before and uh and is now playing for the Netherlands and, and quite a recent switch and not a deliberate one either you get some players who know they're not going to quite cut it at uh a top tier nation say and then move to where they might have a few more opportunities that wasn't what he did he had a you know a job uh in 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 a you know a, a normal business who were looking to expand the European operation so relocated him to the Netherlands he gets there with his wife but not really knowing anyone so decides to to join a cricket team to to make some friends basically and then it was actually only I think after the qualifier had happened that they looked to see if he was a uh, Netherlands qualified and the ICC were like yeah you're good to go so he played a couple of A games and then uh and now he's uh and now he's going to play against the the country that he grew up in yeah there's an amazing story um is there any hope for the Netherlands you think well, I mean, I guess if they, you know, if they want an example of them being South Africa at a World Cup, they have to think back to the last time they played South Africa at a World Cup, yes. you know. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and you know, what would be more South Africa than to, you know, look, the absolute business and then, yeah. and then come and do that. And also, you know, th- there will be a few challenges. I think that the Dutch looked actually really good with the new ball and maybe new ball spin, if you can sort of pose a different challenge to a South Africa lineup. There is still, you know, if you get into it early, there is still that feeling that, there's Janssen not... at seven exactly, is you're, yeah. you're five wickets away. Get get Janssen in early, and then there's a chance. And and the Netherlands are you know it's a, it's a reasonably strong attack and particularly strong spin attack as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I, I I'm reasonably enticed by this game, even if obviously South Africa going as as heavy favourites. And you know also they only have to look back to you know yesterday uh, for look for another World Cup upset that people assumed would go one way. South Africa are best than England and Afghanistan are best than the Netherlands, but still there's, um, you know, in, in, a, in a game over 50 overs, you need a couple of things to go your way and that can happen. Mm. Um, well, that's it for today. Cheers, folks. Cheers, Ben. We'll be back tomorrow for our weekly show, which will also include a bit on the Netherlands South Africa game at the very end. Podcast Network.